following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. And it should also be up on the screen. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come. Follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in, many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You may be seated. This is the word of God. Now just out of curiosity, does anyone in here know the only musical artist to hit number one twice on the Billboard Hot 100 after they died. Go ahead and shout it out. If you think you know who hit the Billboard Top 100 twice posthumously. Huh? No, sorry. Michael Jackson, that's a good guess, but that's not right. Anyone else? One more guess? No? I, I couldn't. I'm, not, I'm having a hard time with the, the muffled noises. <laughs> All right. Anyway, okay. Well, I'll just I'll just tell you. Uh, his name is Christopher Wallace. Anyone know who Christopher Wallace is? No. Okay. I bet you you will in a second. Uh, before there was Kendrick Lamar, Cardi B, Chance the Rapper, and Lecrae, there was Jay Z and Nas. But before there was Jay Z and Nas, there was Tupac and Biggie. Biggie's birth name was Christopher Wallace. Christopher Wallace, A.K.A. Biggie a.k.a. Notorious B.I.G., a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, is the only musical artist to top the charts twice after his death. In fact, he almost hit the top of the charts three times posthumously with the song Been Around the World, but this song only made it to number two after he died. Biggie's first song to reach the top of the Billboard Hot 100 after he died was Hypnotize. It's the one that goes... Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. The second one to reach the top was a song entitled Mo Money, Mo Problems. In it, Biggie sings about the trouble that can come to those with increasing means. The lyrics explain how money and wealth can lead to problems. 
In fact, the most famous line from the entire song is the one that goes, the more money we come across. That's right. (laughs) I didn't think it would work in an Asian American congregation. Amen to that. The more money we come across, the more problems we see. In this one phrase, the song intuitively highlights the problems that seem to be at the heart of our passage today. The the passage opens with a rich young ruler asking Jesus the following question in verse 18. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, believe it or not, this is a very common question in the day. People would be be frequently asking their religious leaders what it took to inherit eternal life. But to this question, Jesus draws attention to the first word our inquirer asks. Jesus focuses on the word good. So as we see in verse 19, he asks the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? Jesus did this because he wanted to shift the young man's focus. He wanted to shift the man's attention to God. So instead of waiting for an answer, Jesus, without missing a beat, continues, no one is good except God alone. Then in verse 20, he follows up with, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. At this, the rich young ruler perks up. You can almost see a cartoon thought bubble start to emerge. Commandments? I'm great at keeping those. As Jesus was going down the list, you could see the rich young ruler reach into his back pocket of the, into the back pocket of his tunic and pull out his moral checklist. Do not commit adultery? Check. Do not murder? Check. Do not steal? Check. Do not bear false witness? Check. Honor your father and mother? Check. He waits to see if Jesus has something else to say, but nothing. You see a smirk emerge on the rich young ruler's face. He knew that he had followed all the commandments. And before Jesus says another word, the rich young ruler proudly responds in verse 21, All these I have kept from my youth. But instead of hearing a word of affirmation, instead of hearing public praise... Before he could rake in the pot at the center of the table for putting down a royal flush, Jesus says in verse 22, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Here, Jesus gives this rich young ruler the same invitation that he gives to his other disciples, come, follow me. But he tells him to do one thing before he does. He tells the rich young ruler to sell everything that he has and distribute it to the poor. But as we see in verse 23, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And as we see in the accounts recorded by Matthew and Mark, the rich young ruler walks away sorrowful. By almost every visible measure, the rich young ruler had it together. One might say he had it all. He wasn't just rich, he was extremely rich. And since this interaction took place in the Asian region of the Middle East, you could say that he was a crazy rich Asian. (laughs) 
Further, on top of being materially rich, he believed himself to be religiously rich as he had attained platinum status in the religious world, likely as a leader in the synagogue. And to top it off, he was young and had his entire future ahead of him. If anyone was the talk of the town, this guy was it. If he wasn't married, he would have been the most eligible bachelor in the region. Everywhere he went, his reputation preceded him. And if anyone were to put forth a model exemplar, it was this guy. As far as the world could tell, he was above reproach. Not only did he keep the commandments, but he would have been the one who showed up when others needed him, gave generously to the church, supported kids in their fundraising efforts, and served the needs of the community. He was an all-around stand-up guy. People who knew who he was, and they respected him for it. In fact, you can almost picture him walking into any room and kissing all the babies in it. It's clear that he lived an exemplary life. So clear that Jesus doesn't refute his answer in obeying all the commandments since he was young. But to Jesus, this, the rich young ruler lacked one critical thing. And here, what's hidden becomes exposed. What's under the surface rises to the top. You see, when Jesus was going through the commandments, he went through the ones that had behavioral social implications. At the most rudimentary level, you can divide the Ten Commandments into two sections. The love of God and the love of neighbor. The first four commandments are about loving God. Have no other gods, make no graven images, don't take God's name in vain, and remember the Sabbath. The second commandment, second set of commandments are about loving neighbor. To the rich young ruler, Jesus listed five of the six commandments that have to do with loving neighbor. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and honor your parents. Each of these directly applies to horizontal relationships. But Jesus leaves one out. Does anyone know what it is? Jesus deliberately leaves out the Tenth Commandment. Do not covet. One of the reasons he does this is because the five he listed are easily observable. They're actionable items. You can tell when people aren't honoring their parents or when they're stealing or when they're committing adultery. They're highly practical in nature. There's no confusion around any of the things that he mentioned. They're clear cut. But coveting is something that's not so easily observed. So Jesus left it out of the original list. I believe the reason he did this is because if Jesus asked him whether he was keeping all the commandments, he would have confidently said yes, as he had done earlier. He would have done this because in his own mind, he, would have, he didn't think that he coveted anything. Because he technically didn't need anything that others had. He was a person of great means. After all, he was crazy rich. He had everything that he needed and could get anything that he wanted. And because he never needed anything that others had, he never actively coveted the things that others around him owned. But Jesus knew what was beneath the surface. He knew that the rich young ruler had built his entire life on what he had and how others perceived him. He knew that it was easy to be religious when you didn't think that you needed God. You see, the rich young ruler... Was covetous, was covetous without being aware of it. This was his blind spot. He's like the person who loves God because he's able to live his best life now. 
He had everything. He needed nothing. And his covetousness never flared up because he never wanted for anything. But Jesus knew that the rich young ruler failed to meet the very first commandment to not have any other God before him. And this was expressed through his failure to grasp the spirit of the 10th commandment as it could easily be argued that, the, that a failure to meet commandments 2 to 10 emerged when we failed to meet the first. Jesus knew that this was the main thing that would get in the way of the rich young ruler's discipleship. And the only way it would be tested is if he was willing and asked to give up everything in order to follow him. So Jesus converts the final commandment into a practical one. He turns covetousness into an actionable step. Instead of saying, do not covet, he says, sell everything you own and then give it to the poor. He tells the young man that he lacked one thing which would be remedied by giving everything up and giving it to the poor and then following him. But this was the one thing that the rich young ruler couldn't do. This was the one thing he couldn't give up. It was too big of an ask. He is now confronted with some of the things being mentioned in the current sermon series around the idols beneath the idols that drive us away from God even as we live externally respectable, religiously-oriented lives. Perhaps for the rich young ruler, money served as a way to gain approval, security, power, comfort, or control. Which one specifically? We can guess, but ultimately we don't know. What we do know is that he appeared to be put together on the outside, but on the inside, he was entrapped by the things that the riches provided him. Here, the love of God and the love of money came at a head. This is because loving God and loving money are mutually exclusive. As Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Thus, the rich young ruler was deeply saddened, and he walked away from Jesus because he couldn't walk away from his riches. You see, for the rich young ruler, his possessions actually possessed him. What he owned, owned him in return. Despite having a strong religious identity, his identity was more powerfully connected to his riches and his wealth. And it was only when he was asked to give it up in order to gain Christ that he would realize it, which is why he became sorrowful and sad. It wasn't that he didn't understand what the offer from Jesus was. It was that he would have to give up all that he had in order to follow him. After taking an inventory of what he had and what it would cost to follow Jesus, he came to the conclusion that it was simply too big of an ask. And in order for him to gain Christ, he would have to lose the very life that he had, gained, had grown accustomed to. But he realized that he could not have his cake and eat it too. This is perhaps why Jesus says in Mark 8, verses 34 to 36, If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Sadly, because his possessions possessed him, 
The rich young ruler became deeply grieved and walked away. He had gained the whole world. And it would appear that he would forfeit his soul. The fact that the rich young ruler becomes consumed with grief should be a wake-up call to all of us. It's not my mistake that the Bible has over 2,000 verses that address money and possessions. More than just about anything else throughout Scripture, making money a God is the thing we are warned about over and over again. Money loves to take the primary seat in the throne room of our hearts. It doesn't even matter if we have it or not. All of us are in danger of turning money into a God. And regardless of why we love money, whether it serves our deeper idols of comfort, control, approval, power, or security, we must be alert with the fact that money does a great job of turning people into its slaves. In fact, whether we have it or not, we can serve the money God. Though we know that, it, that those who have it tend to be shackled by it that more than those who don't have it, as research shows the direct connection between wealth and generosity and how the poor are consistently more generous than the rich, we can serve money to, through our desire to have it as much as we can through our desire to keep it. We serve money through our greed as well as through our covetousness, through our pride and security of having it, as well as through our anxiety over not having it. You see, money, riches, and wealth have a way of working their way into the center of our hearts. They're great at making us blind to our love for them. This is why the love of money shows up in so many forms. Greed, avarice, covetousness, and so on and so forth. And as I read somewhere, avarice means an excessive desire for wealth. Covetousness means a desire for someone else's wealth. And greed is a desire to gather and hold on to wealth by any means available. But all of them share the same root. It's not hard to see that the God of money, or mammon as we see in Scripture, is great at hiding itself from its victim. This is why so many people have a hard time identifying their own greediness. Many people would explain that their greediness is merely a giftedness towards making money or faithfulness to their jobs. And for those who don't have as much as they want, they would say that their anxiety around it is justified. For This is what we need to survive. It's a sin that people don't confess to their pastors or to their small groups because they struggle to recognize it in themselves. It's the sin that loves to hide in plain sight. You see, Jesus doesn't want you to merely behave like a Christian. He really wants you to be one. He doesn't want just a part of your life. He wants the whole of it. He could care less if you looked like a Christian on the outside if you didn't operate like one from the inside. This is why Jesus leaves out covetousness from his conversation with the rich young ruler. He knew that the rich young ruler struggled with something more. The rich young ruler struggled with the root of covetousness, which shares the same root as greed and avarice, the love of money. So Jesus tells him to sell everything that he has and give it to the poor. But you see, what we aren't willing to give up reveals a lot about what's closest to our hearts. And this isn't just limited to money. It's everything from political positions to power, reputation to approval, And as we see from Jesus' own mouth, friends and family. What we must be mindful of is that money and riches have a way of making you believe that it is what makes your life whole. 
It often works in the shadows to make you constantly believe that you don't have enough and that if you have it, you actually deserve it. As J.C. Ryle puts it, there must be no reserve in our hearts. If we would receive anything at Christ's hands, we must be willing to part with anything, however dear it may be, if it stands between us and our salvation. We must be ready to cut off the right hand and pluck out the right eye to make any sacrifice and to break any idol. Life, we must remember, eternal life is at stake. One leak neglected is enough to sink a mighty ship. One besetting sin obstinately clung to is enough to shut a soul out of heaven. The love of money secretly nourished in the heart is enough to bring a man or a woman, in other respects, moral and irreproachable, down to the pit of hell. I wonder if there's anything in your life that you aren't willing to give up in order to take up Jesus' invitation to follow him. You see, a significant difference between us and the rich young ruler was that he was placed in a position where he needed to be honest with himself and with God at that very moment. There was no, I can sort this out later for the rich young ruler. He needed to confront whether he was going to abide in his wealth or abide in Christ and follow him. And unfortunately, he chose his riches. This ought to lead us to ask, is there any reason for us to believe that we are the rich young ruler in this passage? Whether we have much or little, we ought to ask what earthly benefits we are settling for in exchange of eternal rewards. What in your life is holding you back from going all out for Jesus? When your life gets in the way of accepting Jesus' call to follow him. Is it money? Is it status? Is it power? Respectability? Your reputation? Success? Your kids? Or not only keeping up with the Kims, but also surpassing them? What this should lead us to consider is whether there is something in our lives that would lead us to walk away from Jesus as as sorrowful as a rich young ruler did. In a moment of sober honesty, the rich young ruler turns his back to Jesus and walks away. After inviting the man to follow him and seeing him cling to his riches, Jesus then turns to his disciples and says in verses 24 to 25 how difficult it is for those who have wealth, specifically using the term for material wealth, to enter into the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, this would have sent a shockwave throughout the crowd. First of all, if anyone deserved to inherit life, inherit eternal life, it was the guy that just walked away. He was a moral leader and upstanding in every way with a pristine reputation. Further, it was clear that he was blessed, as riches were often equated with God's blessing at the time. Second of all, there is no universe that I know of in which a camel can go through the eye of a needle. Not only was the guy who seemed to be the most qualified to inherit eternal life demoralized by what was required, but Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. The reason Jesus uses the camel for this analogy is because the camel was likely the largest animal in the region at the time, and the eye of a needle, on the other hand, would have been the smallest opening there was. And yet Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. 
But we all know that it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So what are we supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to do with the fact that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God when it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? By all measures, the rich young ruler should have been able to perform his way into the kingdom. He, if anyone, was a perfect candidate. He had the perfect profile. In every regard, he should have been able to earn his way into the presence of God. If anyone were to gain their way into eternal life, it was him. But instead, he walks away full of sorrow and grief because he couldn't let go of what he believed he was accustomed to and entitled to. And as people were asking that who then could possibly merit eternal life, Jesus responds in verse 27, what's impossible with man is possible with God. You see, salvation can't be earned. It's not something that we achieve by our own abilities. It's not something that we can achieve. It's offered to us by God. Thankfully, God doesn't care about, whether you, about what you have or what you don't have. He doesn't care about what you think you may or may not have to offer him. He doesn't care about what you're able to bring to the table. He isn't looking for someone who has it all together and think that they can earn their way into his good graces. He actually seeks the opposite. If you go back just a few verses from where we are in Luke 18 to verses 15 to 17, you'll see that the episode which is highlighted prior to this passage is the one where infants and children were being brought to Jesus. Though the disciples rebuked people for bringing infants to Jesus, Jesus called them to him and said, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You see, the passage of the rich young ruler stands in contrast to this prior passage with, to, with the children. Our writer Luke essentially highlights that we don't have to have made it in the eyes of the world as the rich young ruler did through wealth or religious performance or any other measure in order to earn a place in God's kingdom. In fact, Luke makes it abundantly clear that we are to come as children before him, empty-handed, utterly dependent, abandoned of the trappings of the world, and without a sense of self-importance. What God does is say to you and to me, you don't have to have it all together or be the talk of the town in order to be granted eternal life. All God expects of you is for you to come to him open-handed because he has everything you need, and he wants to offer you everything he has. In fact, full hands will prevent you from being able to receive everything God can put into your empty ones. As Jesus says in Matthew 18, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you're sitting here, having given your life to God, it's good to remember that it's not because you've earned your way into grace. You're here because of what God has done and because, what God, because, because God has done what's impossible for us to accomplish on our own. And this very fact should humble us. 
But if you find yourselves in the same shoes as the rich young ruler, know that Jesus is giving you the same invitation to come and follow him. Instead of walking away sorrowful, you can give your life to him right here and right now. For what's impossible with humans is possible with God. You see, if you're in Christ, you can live with full abandon. You can live your life liberated from the rat race of this world. You can live your life free from the siren song of living the comfortable suburban life. You can live in full trust and obedience that the God who made you and saved you is the same God who will provide for you. You don't have to be consumed by whether you'll make it in life, whether you'll get far enough ahead, whether your 401k will be big enough, or whether you'll be positioned for greatness. And since I'm at a predominantly Asian American church, whether your children will get enough good grades in school and be the best musician or athlete in order to get into a good enough college and have a career that you can boast about and get married to someone whose reputation rivals that of the character of our story. You don't have to present yourself as someone who doesn't struggle with anything because you don't want to feel ashamed for not having it together like the people sitting around you. And trust me, people are more messed up than they want to let on. Instead, you can just walk with Jesus as a child would and receive all that he may have for you as you let go of the things that hold you back from him. You can know that Christ is for you, not because of anything that you have to offer him, but because of what he offers you through his gracious love as a precious image bearer of God. Hear his invitation and follow him, as what's impossible with humans is not with God, for all things are possible with God. Let's pray. God, teach us to obey all that you command for us out of an understanding of how you've made all that is wrong in the world right. Help us to see the freedom that is offered through your son Jesus. Reveal to us the things that seek to imprison us and to keep us from you. And help us to take up your offer to follow you a new today and every day as we heard from our dear friend in Indonesia. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>